What's up, guys? How are y'all? I'm doing great, excellent. Thank you, John. Uh, let's give John a hand for being with us. Can I grab this? For uh, really just allowing us to focus and enter in and put all the, the stuff of the day beside us and just for a few 10, 15 minutes. Uh, for some of us that are late, five minutes, uh, enter into the point. Uh, that, that last song, the last two songs, um, is what it's about, is, Lord, I'll stand. All I am is yours. That's what the gospel is about. Uh, God taking us who could not come near God, us who could not enter in, us who were sin-scarred, sick, cancerous, gross, and instead of just saying you're forgiven, coming and standing in our place, giving us that forgiveness, but also giving righteousness through our veins, where we are now not just sinful, but we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And then we just simply, out of love, out of devotion, out of wonderment and awe and amazement at who God is, say, all I got, everything I got yours, God. My life, my thoughts, my career, my family, uh, my heartbeat, my every pumping of the blood through my veins, all I got, God, is yours. And that is a small token of, in comparison to what you've done for me in Christ Jesus. So that's pretty cool. Um, how many of you have your phone with you tonight? Nice. How many of you have uh, more than like what we used to call the brick phone? Uh, you have like the smart phone. Anybody know what a smart, what does that mean that it's smart? Anyone? Uh, window based. Not, an, an iPhone's not smart? My phone would disagree with you. But if you have your phone, uh, somewhere there's going to be a link. We're going to try this out. How many of you on Sunday see the, for sermon notes, go to this link? Anybody ever see that? How many of you ever have actually looked at that? No? We thought we'd try it out this week to kind of check it out. Um, some, oh, that's awesome. Uh, click the hide the logo button, and then they can see it. Oh, that, not the clear all, but hide logo. Wait for it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, or if you have your smartphone, oh, it's there twice. Uh, if you want to go there with your phone, that's great. It's got all this printed out for you. It's got some questions for you. Um, kind of cool, kind of neat, trying it out. It's free, whatever. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Titus. Where? The book of Titus. Go back, leave it up there. We're slow. And there's all these backslashes and stuff, right? If you're my friend on Twitter, it's the most recent post that I put on there. There's just no masculine way to say Twitter. Or my most recent tweet. That's awkward. Your what? Uh, yeah, tweet. Are you in Titus? Titus is a phenomenal book, and it's only three chapters long. But tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of what we call aftershocks. What is an aftershock, please? 
let's say maybe there's a skate park and it's really loud over there and it's booming and there's this earthquake that happens and the earth swallows up all the people in the skate park and then later on we have some aftershocks. What would that be? That would be inappropriate for me to say that. And two, what else would it be? Silence. It would be. Let's imagine. Silence. Nope, hasn't happened yet. They're still over there. Um, awesome. After what? What'd you say? The link doesn't work. Well, your phone's not very smart then. Sorry. Sorry. Has anybody got it? Did it work for anybody? Joel's got it, Anna. Hmm. Well. Oh. Sorry, inappropriate tweet. It didn't work. <laughs> Back to where we are. Aftershock. What is it? What's an aftershock? Me asking question, you respond to question. The effects of what happened? What were you saying, Beth? After the earthquake, right? Okay, so if we are children of God in this room, if an earthquake has happened in our life, okay, we have been devastated by the presence of God in our lives. We have been devastated by the fact that we are sinful, that we cannot pay that debt, and God has done that and brought it about in Christ Jesus for us. That's a huge earth-shattering, bring-us-to-our-knees type of thing. If we pray in this prayer, Spirit of God, fall fresh on us, glory of God, fall fresh on us. Anybody seen that in the Old Testament or the New Testament? What usually happens when that happens? Anybody? Anybody? Fall on your face. I am dead. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. All those things. Isaiah type 6 type of stuff. We see God for who he is, the glory falls, and we are like, I'm going to die because God is holy and I'm not, okay? So this earthquake has happened in our lives, and then we, after the earthquake, there are some aftershocks where there's some, there's some tremors still happening in the life where the gospel is still shaking us. The gospel is still causing us to realize that we are sinful, God is holy, and God through His Holy Spirit has put, He's put the Holy Spirit in us to cause us to live the gospel. So tonight's going to be a little bit different. We're going to walk through a little bit of text together, and then I'm going to ask you some questions about how this aftershock, how you've experienced it, how it is playing its course in your life today, and um, and how it could play its course in your life in the future, okay? So you're in the book of Titus, right? Yes or no? The book of Titus is an amazing book. It's only three chapters, but it is packed full with this truth. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Sound doctrine leads to good deeds. Sound doctrine leads to good deeds. You're not saved on the basis of deeds, Paul talks about that in chapter 3, which we're going to get into. But you are called in Christ as a result of sound doctrine to live a life of good deeds. Let me tell you a little bit of historical setting for the book of Titus. Paul, 
is writing to this guy named Titus. Oh, that's awesome. This guy named Titus, and he has left him on the island of Crete. Chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, look at it. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. The next couple of verses, he talks about what these elders are supposed to look like. Look with me at verse 9. This is what the elder and Titus are supposed to do. Holding fast, like holding it now, holding it in the future, gripping, gripping, gripping. Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he can do two things. What is this elder overseer supposed to do on this island of Crete? Number one, what? Exhort or encourage with sound doctrine. And number two, what? To refute. Refute who? Those who oppose, or if you have an NAS, those who contradict. If there are people on this island of Crete, they are in opposition, they are opposed, they are... They... Uh, what's the word? Exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. What's it mean to contradict? Not be on the same page, to disagree, to challenge. Those who are challenging or contradicting what, though? What are they contradicting? Sound doctrine. So Paul is writing to Titus, who's been with Paul and seen some really cool stuff that Paul has done in another church called the Church of Corinth, where Paul has beat them upside the head with some sound doctrine, and it's led them to have good deeds and repentance and godly sorrow that leads to repentance and a changed life. Titus has seen that. He leaves him on Crete to set in order what remains, appoint elders, Elders that hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that they can exhort in sound doctrine and, boom, refute those who contradict. Look at verse 9, 10, 11, 12. Look at some of the things that it says about these men who contradict sound doctrine. What's it say about them? They're called rebellious men. They're called empty talkers deceivers, what else? They're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach. Why? For the sake of sordid gain. What else? Liars. They must be silenced. Anything else? Lazy gluttons. One of their own, a prophet or a, a poet of their own says, Cretans, island of Crete, talking about their people, Cretans are always three things. What? Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And guess what? This testimony is true. One of their own says this, okay? So these rebellious men, what's the answer for them, what do we do? What's the elder to do to these rebellious men who are upsetting whole families and all these things? Refute or rebuke them with sound doctrine. Another word for sound, if you look it up in the Greek, it literally means 
healthy or whole. You are to give them a good dose because they have unhealthy doctrine, they have opposition to sound doctrine, cancerous doctrine that's upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sort of gain. The answer is a good, you're going to Africa, dose of ouch in the arm, inoculation, sound doctrine. Not to ignore them, not to let them spread, but to boom, sound doctrine. Okay? It keeps on talking about them all the way through to the end of chapter 1. Look at verse 14, I guess it is. No, 15. Now remember, we're giving, I'm giving you the context. This is the rebellious men that we're talking about, okay? To the pure, in this chapter, elders, believers, to the pure, what? All things are pure. But, contrast, to those who what are defiled, unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are what? Defiled. Okay, so huge contrast. Grand Canyon in the middle. On this side, to the pure, all things are pure. Right? On the other side, oh, you were on this side last week, right? I always do this. I divide it into two rooms. Okay, on this side, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled, unbelieving, what else does it say? Corrupted, nothing is pure. Look at verse, is it 16? They profess to know God, but, but what? But they profess to know God, but by their deeds or works, they deny Him. Okay, let's, let's unpack that for a second. What's profess mean? They say, they proclaim, they talk. Now, we're talking in the context here, rebellious men. They profess what? Oh, yeah, I know God. I get it. I know God. I know who he is. We type. Me and Jesus are tight. They profess to know God, but what? Their actions, by their actions, by the way they live their life, it is obvious. What's obvious? They deny it. What's it mean to deny? Denied. If Gentlemen. If a girl denies you, what's that mean? Beth, you have a smile on your face. Help me out with that. Help the gentleman in the room. If a girl denies you, what's that mean? She says no, and all her friends are going to say no, and you need to stop. Right? Denied. It ain't happening. It ain't true. Move along. Right? Yes. Fail. Okay? They profess to know God, but by their deeds, by what they do. Oh, yeah. This guy comes up to you. I'm a stud, you know. I got it going on. Hey, let's go out. Hey, lady, let's go for a date, right? You're not a stud. You're a loser. 
you don't have a job, you still live at home, you have no source of income, you have nothing, no hope of ever leaving your parents' household, and you're not even concerned about that, you sit at home and play video games all day, all night, you never get around to actually going and looking for a job, you denied, man card pulled, you are not a stud. Some girls just say, no, I I explain all of that for you, right? (laughs) Denied. You profess, I'm a stud, I'm the man, look at me, I've got axe on, and therefore I'm a stud. (laughs) Please, let me tell you, I taught middle school and high school boys. Any of you middle school, high school teachers in here? I know you have some. What age group do you work with? This has trickled down to them, which I've heard, where... The, the line in the sand for whether or not you are a stud in high school, middle school, and now fifth grade is whether or not you have Axe body spray. And you know those commercials. Have all of y'all seen the Axe commercials? Well, see, what's scary is little 12-year-old boys who do not take showers believe that if you spray Axe body spray, that that automatically makes you a stud and girls will follow you and flock to you and want whatever it is that 12-year-olds have that's worth wanting. And now, is that the case, ladies? Put yourself back in 12-year-old, or let's say it's a 24-year-old who has not woken up to the reality that that's not the way that you win godly girls. Is that reality? Please say no. <laughs> well, you know, there was that guy at Glory's last week, and he had on the new Mountain Fresh accent. I was going with it for, hey, I was going a little bit. No, right? Right? Amanda, please say yes. Right. Okay. All right. How does any of that relate to the rebellious men? They profess, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. Oh, yeah, I know God. I got it. But in reality, when you look at their life, just like this guy who doesn't have a job, has no hope, still lives with his mom, his mom still buys his toilet paper, balances his checkbook for him, the reality is you are not a stud. Profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. You can profess all you want that you're a believer. You can even spray some church on you. You can even spray some, I'm involved in a community group. Mm-hmm. Right on. But, by your deeds, what? You could deny. Right? That's a big deal. That's a big, that's a big canyon. That's what we've been talking about for the last 12 weeks is the gospel. I love the gospel. You should love the gospel. Um, People say that you should preach the gospel to yourself every day. That you should get into it and you should realize this is what was true and now this is what is true. I had nothing to do with this, therefore I have nothing to do with living my life by faith today except simply saying, all I am is yours, bring it. Let's walk in faith today. So, you profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Turn the page and look at, if you have your Bible, I don't know if this is on all the online stuff, 
Look at verse, or chapter 2, verse 1. Note that in the original manuscripts, there's no chapter divisions, no verse divisions. What's the answer to Titus? What's Paul say to our boy Titus? What's the first word? Okay. That's where, teach. Okay, all of us have different translations. Awesome. My translation, NAS 95 update, says, but, contrasts. But as for you, Titus, okay, so think with me. We've gone in chapter 1. We've talked about elders who are holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that they may be able to exhort and reprove the rebellious men who profess to know God but deny him by their deeds. Flow of thought. Then we get to chapter 2. But, contrast, as for you, Titus, what? What's your text say? Teach what is in accordance with sound doctrine. But as for you, Titus, speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Even though there's tons of rebellious men, even though there's all these guys who profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. What is Titus? What are believers? What are leaders within the church and within the local church and within the smaller part of the church? What are they supposed to do? Uh, sound doctrine, not ignore them, not just go pick a fight with them, but to give them sound doctrine. Awesome. And then we got all this crazy stuff in chapter 2. If you're following along in your Bible, um, he starts saying how this sound doctrine is to be lived out. And he goes through all these relationships. Older men, older women are to be this, uh, young Men, older women are to be this, to teach the young women to be this, and young men are to be sensible. That's one word you need to look up later on. It keeps going and going and going and going. Bond slaves, which is basically anybody who has a job, are to be this and not this and this. And then it gets to verse 11. And I think on the little online thing, I have verse that you need to look at verse 11. Look at verse 11 for me, please. Why are all of these people... In this church on the island of Crete, why are they to have all of these characteristics of godliness? Why are the older women, well, none of y'all are that in here. Why are younger women, well, let me read this to you. Older women, reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Why? So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure. Workers at home, won't touch that one. Kind, being subject to their own husbands. Why? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. Older women are to be this, teaching the young women to be this, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So flip side of that is, the word of God is dishonored if the young women aren't learning this and seeing this in the lives of the older women, the word of God is dishonored. But why are people supposed to have all of these qualities? Look at verse 11. Why? Why have these qualities? Because. Because, folks, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. What has this grace of God done besides just appearing? Look at the text. Bring salvation, appearing. What else? Yeah, instructing us 
to deny ungodliness. Uh, we're in verse 12. Instructing us to deny ungodliness, to deny worldly desires, and to live sensibly and righteously and godly when in the present age. What has taught us how to do all that? Nope. The grace of God that is, has instructed us and is instructing us. You see, this is one of those aftershocks of the gospel. If the gospel has transformed your life, the grace of God is not something that happened a long time ago. The grace of God is active in your life today in that it is actively, right now, instructing you. Instructing me to do what, Lucarelli? To deny ungodliness. Instructing me to do what? To live godly and righteously and sensibly in the present age? Well, when I'm 40, I'll do that. After I get my man, then I'll settle down. Nope. Ask some of our friends who thought that, got into a relationship, got married, and the guy who they were with that they professed to know God but denied him by their deeds and they're now walking through being a single parent, ask them how that feels. Not too great. The grace of God instructs us right now to do all these things. Um, and verse 13, not just to be and do all these things. How can, Luke Rally, how can I live godly? I'm a guy in the 2010. It's impossible. There is porn and sex and Girls who know that that's the way that guys go after them, so they dress that way. That, all of that is going on. How do I do that? The grace of God has appeared. The gospel has come. Not only does it teach you how to do all this stuff, but it teaches you how to, look, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Now look at how, think with me please, Paul is instructing them to teach sound doctrine, to speak it confidently, because there's a lot of people who contradict it. Step back for a second. Are there a lot of people that contradict sound doctrine today? Teaching things they should not teach for the sake of their own selfish gain? Yeah. Check. Yeah, still happens today. What's the answer for those people and in dealing with those people? Is it still sound doctrine? Yeah, the answer is yes. That's why we put a, such an emphasis in everything that we do here on the Word of God. Not what I think about the Word of God, but us walking through the text together. So that you can see that it's not what I think, it's not what Pastor John thinks, it's this is what the Word of God says. Teaching them. Speaking sound doctrine. Look at how he weaves sound doctrine when he's telling them to teach sound doctrine. Look at verse 13, the end of it. Looking for the blessed hope and the glory and great God appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, comma. He's going to tell us about Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who, number one, what did he do? Gave himself for us. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Gave himself for us to redeem us. What's that mean? To buy us out of slavery. Think of gospel, please. You're enslaved to sin. Why did the grace of God come? The Christ came in order to buy us out. We were on the auction block of sin, and we could not pay for our own debt. Yet Jesus came 
to redeem us. But just to redeem us? Look at what else it says. Redeem us from that deed that I did last week. That lawless deed that I did last night when nobody was looking. Yes or no? Well, yeah, but what else? To redeem us from every lawless deed. Is that where he left us, though? Why did he do all that? Let me insert the encouragement I give you every week. I'm just walking through the text. So if you look at the text, chances are, and you say what the text says, chances are you're going to have the right answer. Okay? Jesus gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and what else? To purify. Oh, these are some awesome words right here. Purify for himself. Not for you, but for himself. A people for his own possession. God purified you to own you, to possess you, to have you. A people for his own possession that are, what's the end result? Eager, what's some of your other translations say? Zealous. Oh, we got to finish that. Zealous for what? For good deeds. Remember I told you the book of Titus is about sound doctrine that leads to good deeds. Why did Jesus give himself up for us? So that we might be purified, redeemed. Yay, we're good with all those. Hallelujah. What else? To purify for himself a people for his own possession that are zealous for good deeds. Why are we focusing in on the gospel? Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. If the gospel is rooted into your life, it is pumping through your veins, then there's some things that are different about you. And we've walked through all of those. There's repentance. There is still sin, but that leash of sin is now very short because you sin, repent. Sin, repent. Not sin, 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 sin. Three months, five months, eight months, sin. Well, I just turned away from the Lord. No. No. If you are habitually living in sin, you didn't turn away from him, you were never turned towards him. Okay? That's based on the authority of Scripture, not me judging your life. Okay? So, mm, mm. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it's either first or second. Maybe it's second. Second Corinthians. I'm, I'm reading through it in my mind. Second no, it's second because 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves to see if the gospel has been sown into your life and is bearing fruit. The fruit of repentance, the fruit of belief, the fruit that leads to being zealous for good works. Okay, what does zealous mean, at least in the English language? Eager. If, if someone, let's say, is described as a zealot, we don't use that word a lot today, but 
What's a zealot? A phonetic. Not phonetic. That means <laughs> sound it out. Fanatic. Well, somebody else said something else too. Passionate. Zealous. Anything else? Like the switch is turned on and there is nothing that is going to turn that switch off. They are not just passionate like I'm passionate about you, but passionate like teeth gritted. They are going to be passionately pursuing, zealously eager. This is what it's about. The gospel zealous for good works. A life that is changed by the gospel, that's marked by the gospel, that still has those aftershocks, is zealous for good works. Well, just in case we're confused, he continues on in chapter 3. Oh, look at verse 15, by the way, if you have it out there. These things, Titus, speak, exhort, and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Context tells me all those rebellious men are punks, and they're trying to disregard everything that Titus is saying, everything that the gospel says. But the answer is, speak things fitting for sound doctrine. Look at chapter 3. Jump down to verse 3. Again, sound doctrine that leads to good deeds. And he's just just hammering away at what the sound doctrine is. Look at verse 3. For we once were also foolish. What else? Disobedient. Deceived. Enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice, hateful, not only hateful, but hating one another, right? Now, take a step back with me, please. Who's he writing this to? What's the book's name? Titus. Where's Titus? Crete. What's going on on Crete? Well, there's some elders. They need to do the sound doctrine stuff. And there's some rebellious men. And what are the rebellious men doing? They're contradicting Sound doctrine. And look at what he's reminding them of right here. A little dose of humility, a little dose of, hey, you're not better than them. Recognize you once, past tense, not you still are foolish, you still are disobedient, you still are enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. You, past tense, once were foolish. You past tense, once were disobedient. You once were deceived and enslaved to various lusts. Hey now, here comes the gospel moment. What's verse 4 say? Big, there's a big old button, verse 4. It is huge. You got someone that I used to sit under would always say, mark your butts. You got to mark your butts. This is a huge contrast right here. You once were that way. Contrast, light and darkness difference. What are you now? Oh, look, it had nothing to do with you. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, remember kindness, we talked about Romans 2, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and... His love for mankind appeared. What did he do? He saved us. 
God's kindness saved us. He clarifies it. Not, not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness, because we all know Amanda's comment a couple weeks ago, what's our righteousness? Gross, dirty, sick, filthy rags. I'll, I'll turn it up a little bit for you. Filthy rags. We have nothing that's righteous in and of ourselves. Right? Yeah. But when the kindness of God and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds that we've done in righteousness, but how? According to his mercy, what else? The washing, what else? Regeneration, that's an awesome word to study, and renewing of, think of last week, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comma, he's going to explain, whom he poured out upon us, he is God right there, whom he poured out upon us richly. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's telling them the sound doctrine again. Why? So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So in verse 3 through verse 7, he gives us another dose of the gospel. And I, want to sh- I wanted to show you this because I want you to see that the gospel wasn't just something that happened in the book of Acts. The gospel wasn't just something that happened in Romans. The gospel wasn't just something that happened to the church at Thessalonica or Corinth or all these other places. It happened all throughout. And it was the same deal. The gospel... They believe the gospel. Look at what the gospel does. The gospel, we believe it. Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection. Holy Spirit now in you. The hope of glory. Awesome. Righteousness of God in you. And it changes you. There's a difference. There's a change. There's a difference. And I don't know how to emphasize that as much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine wrote a song called, The Only Thing That's Good in Me is Jesus. That's true. Nothing I've done, church attendance, whatever. You can go to church all your life, like a lot of people have and are still dying and going to hell, who profess to know God, but deny Him by their deeds. Yeah, you could have been baptized once, twice, 18, 300 times. You could have done all of these things. But unless Jesus, unless the kindness of our God that leads to repentance, a change of life, unless God's mercy whom he poured out and the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior washes you and regenerates you, then no deal. That's the gospel. Well, why is it important for us to talk about that? Uh, what I want you to do is I want you to get with, uh, we got about 10 minutes left. I want you to get with mm, four people, three, four people, three or four people, as in like right now, uh, kind of huddle around them, and I'm going to ask you some questions. 
And once you have a little, you know, we're on couches, and there's little coffee tables, and it's really cute in here. If the guy that you're with has believed the lie that Axe will bring him a date, this would be maybe the time to tell him, bro, there's this thing called a shower. Make a decision. Make a decision. All right. Now that Anna has made her decision. All right, here's a question that I want to ask you. You know, the, the phrase is said, the, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Um, how, oh, let, let's see, let's back the truck up for a second. One or two people in your group, do, do this for me. Explain what the gospel is. Explain. We don't have 12 weeks, okay? We've got like two minutes, 30 seconds. What is the gospel? And let me put a parenthesis here. If you find that this is really difficult, that's not good. Okay? If you find that, I don't know. Hmm. Okay? Explain the gospel. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 sorry. Hold up. Stop talking about the gospel, okay? Here's the deal. Here's some guidelines. You've got the quiet person in the group, and there might be six of you together, even though that's weird because I only said four, but whatever. <clears throat> there might be the quiet person in the group, and there might be the, I like every opportunity to use everyone else's oxygen and take it in and take it in and give carbon dioxide out. I love that, okay? I like to hear myself talk. The goal is for that person to not talk as much and for the silent person to talk a little bit. Meet in the middle, love ya, go. Okay, look please with me at someone in your group have Titus 2 out or your trusty smartphone. And look at Titus 2, verse 13 and 14. Okay, and here's the question that you're going to answer. How does the gospel motivate all of these things in verses 12 and 13. How does the gospel motivate all these things in 12 and 13? For example, here is how the gospel has instructed me to deny ungodliness. Here is how the gospel has instructed me to live righteously in an unrighteous world. You see where I'm going with that? Okay, keep going. Okay, let me give you an example. And this, I, hopefully this is what, echoing what you have said within your group. Okay? The gospel, for me, this week, is not something that happened when I became a believer when I was 17. But the gospel this week has instructed me to deny ungodliness. And this is how that looks, where I realize because of the gospel, here's the gospel, it's central, it's not just the thing that happened back there, but it's like the hub 
of the wheel of all of my life right now, okay? The gospel. I had nothing to do with that except simply receiving and believing what God has done in Christ for me. So how am I going to deny ungodliness? Well, the same as the gospel. Nothing of my own, nothing of my own strength, but only through what God has done for me. Only what God can do through me, through the Holy Spirit of God. Because I'm dead and I'm now raised to walk and Christ owns me. You see the difference in that? It's not, I'm going to fight sin. I'm going to beat lust. I'm going to stop this addiction. That's not the gospel. That's called moral improvement, where the only reason you come to church is to look better than anybody else. Is that consistent with the book of Titus? No. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds that we've done in righteousness, like beating lust or uh, stopping that addiction with my willpower. No. God, all I am is yours. I can't do this. The gospel is the hub of my life. And just as I've received Christ by faith, I did nothing. I'm going to walk in Christ now with the gospel. That's called the aftershock of the gospel. You should be able to look past over your week this week. Okay? One week. You should be able to look back and see how the gospel has instructed you to deny ungodliness. Hey, here's the way to go. Here's the gospel. You can't do this on your own. You could go this way, but go this way. How? Well, the gospel, Christ in you. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He'll provide the way of escape. That's the gospel. You didn't do it. God provided the way of escape. Or let's do this one. For the grace of God has appeared, instructing you to deny ungodliness, to live righteously, to live godly, to live sensibly in the present age. If you can't look back over a week, over two weeks, over three weeks, over a year, and see manifestations of that, where God, through the gospel, has been victorious in you and through you, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourself. Examine yourself. Because there are many who profess to know God, but deny Him by their deeds. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But Lord, we did this in your name. We went to church. We prophesied. We cast out devils in your name. And God will say, or Christ will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness or iniquity. So it's a big deal. This isn't just something where the gospel, oh, I believed it, cross service, awesome, right on. And then you move past it. Every day. Let me read this to you and then we'll close. Um, there's a great little resource that I would really recommend you getting. Uh, it's called a Gospel Primer. A gospel Primer. It's really simple. It's a, a little book. And I'm going to read a little bit of it, it to you. And this guy named Jerry Bridges talks about it um, in his book called Respectable Sins. He writes about the important discipline of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Realizing that many people have heard of this discipline but do not know how to practice it, 
he provides an overview of how he does so. This is what he says. Since the gospel is only for sinners, I begin each day with the realization that despite my being a saint and now heir in Christ Jesus, I still sin every day in thought, word, deed, and motive. If I'm aware of any subtle or not so subtle sins in my life, I acknowledge those to God. Even if my conscience is not indicting me for conscious sins, I still acknowledge to God that I have not even come close to loving him with all of my being or loving my neighbor and myself. I repent of those sins. And then I apply specific scriptures that assure me of God's forgiveness to those sins that I have just confessed. Let me give you an example. Uh, This is evident in the hymn, The Solid Rock. Um, On Christ the solid rock I stand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Forgiveness, sanctification together. What scriptures do I use to preach the gospel myself? Here are just a few I choose from each day. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Psalm 103 verse 12. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 43, 25. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each each one to our own way, but God has laid upon him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. Jesus, God, here's the subtle sin. Here's the, I'm not even aware of the sin that's in my life. You have laid upon Jesus, your son, the iniquity for that sin and for all the sins that I'm going to commit today. Thank you, Jesus. For we once were foolish ourselves, disobedient to sleep, deceived and enslaved to various lusts. But God, in your kindness, you have saved me. Not on the basis of deeds that I've done in righteousness, but according to your mercy that's been poured out the washing and regeneration, the Holy Spirit that's been poured out. You see, the difference is when we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, our worship is motivated by, wow, love, devotion. Our our obedience is not just, I've got to do this in order to be a Christian. It's, Lord, how can I walk in a manner worthy of the calling? How can I do all things in order to please you because of what you've done through the gospel? And what I would like to ask for you this week, um, and, and I don't know how, what this is going to look like, and I don't, I don't know if anybody's going to do it, but I'm going to do it, and I'd ask that you would do it with me. Um, I know a lot of you don't spend a lot of time in the Word each week. I know that a lot of you um, come here for, for different things, but what I'm asking you to do this week is, Lord, to preach the gospel to yourself every day. To take a few of these verses, and if you need help with this, I'll put some online for you, okay, where you can do this, to preach the gospel to yourself. In the morning, if you're a morning person or not, before you get up, maybe even before you get out of bed, maybe just slither outside the bed right onto your knees onto the floor, okay? Get on the ground and say, Lord, I am so in need of the gospel today. I'm in need to remind myself of what you've done for me in Christ and who you are so that I can live the gospel today. I thank you 
Because the gospel. I thank you. The only reason that there's anything good in me is because of Jesus and what he's done. I thank you that the only difference between me and that person out there that doesn't know the gospel is Jesus. That's what being centered around the gospel looks like. So what I want you to do, and I'm asking you to do this, preach the gospel to yourself every day. This doesn't have to be a 12-week thing or 45 minutes in the morning. 10, 15, where you preach the gospel to yourself. You walk through some of these passages. If you look online, maybe tomorrow, um, I'll probably go home and post them tonight. DFWgathering.com, I'll put them on there. And I want you to walk through and preach the gospel to yourself. Okay? And I want you to keep in mind those two verses. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Test yourself. Examine yourself. Where you can pray with David, search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there's any false way in me. Okay? That one. And then number two, uh, Titus chapter 1, verses... I think it's 14 and 15, 13 and 14. They profess to know God. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Some of you are still in that category. Profess, yeah, I believe, but your mind and your heart and your conscience are defiled. That means your conscience is seared. You don't even know right from wrong. Profess, deny. How do I know you deny? You deny by your deeds. But there's grace, Jesus. And he wants you to experience the earthquake of the gospel. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for, for your word. God, it is so... It's such a feast. And God, we're so malnourished. Where this feast, this banquet table is there for us at all times. And you, the chef, the cook, man, you just want to give us the good meat. You want to give us the milk of your word, the meat of your word, and to be satisfied and nourished by your word. God, we've believed a lie that man does live by bread alone. But God, we, we come back and we confess and we ask for forgiveness saying, Lord, we want to feast on your word. It is so alive. It's so relevant. We didn't have to make it relevant. It's so applicable even to our church, our 50 people that are here tonight, and 150 people that may have or may not have come tonight, where there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers. There are many who are still foolish and enslaved various lusts and pleasures, disobedient and deceived. And Lord, I thank you so much that the answer is not anything that I can do. It's nothing that anyone in here can do. The answer is the sound doctrine, what has been done on the cross. 
and speaking confidently about that? The answer is the Holy Spirit removing scales from eyes, unplugging ears, raising men and women from the dead. Lord, we ask that you would awaken more people. We ask that you would allow us to press in to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. And Lord, may you do some pretty crazy stuff in the lives of the people that do that this week. And may we testify, this is what the Lord has done, and it is marvelous in our eyes. We pray these things in the name of the marvelous one, the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.